This is the We Spin Recipes podcast with Andrew Apanov. Hello everyone, Andrew Apanov here with a new edition of the We Spin Recipes podcast. We've got an exciting guest today who is going to share with you a lot of tips on branding, marketing and releasing your music. His name is Alex Coles and many of you may know him as Steelhead. Normally in these intros I describe all the projects of the guest, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to do it in this case, as first of all, Alex does a great job listing his projects himself, you will hear it for yourself in just a couple minutes, and second, <laughs> well, there is a bit too many to remember. Every project of Alex is exciting and so well done for, and I recommend you checking his links out in the show notes right after finishing this episode. Enjoy this conversation and learn what Alex went through changing his artist name, what you should know if you want to change your artist alias yourself, his upcoming course called How to Self-Release, why to do your homework and research various distributors before beginning to work with one, how everything you apply patience to is going to be better in the long run, and much, much more. Do not waste your time, let's jump straight into it, an interview with Alex Coles. Hello, Alex, and welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. So, my regular question, do you mind doing a, a somewhat quick intro, somewhat because I know that you have a lot of stuff going on and a lot of projects, but so yeah, can you give us an overview of the things you're working on? Yeah, I'll keep it as quick as possible. So my name is Alex. I um, I produce electronic music. I run labels. I have a podcast of my own and I have a number of music industry related things which I do. I started producing as different, DFRNT, and I guess did relatively well under that name, but there were things about it that I didn't like. So I recently switched to the name Stillhead and I have a debut album being released this month, actually. I have a few other aliases that I use, but I also used to run Echodub Records, which was um, digital releases mostly, but I released some of my own different albums on there and did things like Kickstarter campaigns and that sort of thing. And the two other labels that I have, which are running at the moment, are Brightest Dark Place, which is more of a regular label for vinyl and digital releases, and Cut Records, which is a subscription-based label where people pay a couple of dollars a month and they get instant access to all of our catalog, which is over 40 releases now, and they get a guaranteed release every month for the money that they pay. I run Insight Podcast, which is kind of just a regular, semi-regular collection of music that I've been sent that I like, because I kind of want to showcase a lot of the music that I get sent via sort of promotions or dubs that people send me, but never had a platform because I wasn't DJing enough. So the podcast was born for that. And that's, oh, we're on to about 136 episodes now, I think. And the sort of main thing other than my album release that I'm concentrating on now is a course platform called How to Self-Release, which is kind of a combination of things. It's a blog, but it's also a bunch of free resources and kind of a course that I'm working on how to self-release and possibly quite a bit of information on how to kind of build an audience and that sort of stuff. And there's one or two other things that I do as well, but they're just kind of little things. There's like a music descriptions Tumblr, which is kind of a comedy thing that I just found amusing. Um, I have a small blog called Sitting Ovation, which is about the narrative within music discovery, which is slightly obscure, but there's a little bit of a story behind that. And also I have like a one page website on how to send me music, which a lot of people refer to and a lot of labels use as a guide for people to send them demos. So it stays up and I kind of try and keep it up to date, although it needs a little bit of tweaking now. Um, this is how we actually discovered you first. I really? Believe. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of about all of the projects that I'm working on. And I'm a designer by day. So during the day I'm working on, like I have my own design agency registered here in Riga in Latvia, where I live now. And yeah, I, so I also, I always have like a bunch of projects on the go. So that and the socials for all of those sites and everything else just keeps me super busy all the time. Yeah, man. I mean, I could have dozens of questions on each of your projects. There's just <laughs> like so, so much stuff going on and lots of exciting things. So I'm linking to your projects in the show notes. So anyone listening to us now, I highly encourage you to check it out because like we cannot physically cover everything on the podcast, but you just absolutely have to go there and, and look into 
IntelliX projects because, yeah, so, I mean, the subscription model, the labels and everything. This is part of the problem, though. Part of the problem I have is I've kind of got too much on. And it, it dawned on me, I've always thought that I've got probably a bit too much going on and I need to cut it down. And I was also involved in like another blog up here, which was uh, called The Baltic Scene, which kind of promoted electronic music in the Baltics. And I had to close it because I just didn't have enough time to handle it all. And the same, like, there's been projects that I really wanted to start. And I keep having these ideas for things that I want to do. And I have to say, like, wait, no, you just, you can't do it. You can't take on any more work. Like, stop creating work for yourself and just concentrate on making the things that you've got at the moment better. Yeah, well, but it's really difficult. I think it, it kind of could make sense to build uh, one more brand a little bit more, which would be your personal one. Like, do you have any kind of a web page with the list of all the projects you're working on? Any kind of a log of stuff got, you're in? Yeah, there's kind of two. So there's alexcowles.com, which lists all of the projects that I work on. Oh, cool. Um, it's kind of a general overview for me as a person. And then stillhead.com has all of the music projects on there. Now, stillhead.com kind of was redesigned recently to capture people's email addresses and allow them to sign up and download a bunch of my stuff for free. But if you scroll down, there's a list of other projects that I've got, and it's even got a link to the old different alias and the old Baltic Scene website, which kind of don't really exist anymore, but there's a bit of information, and the old Equidub website as well. So I, I try and... It's really difficult to represent everything that I do with one brand or one kind of like umbrella corporation, yeah. if you will, you know. So yeah. yeah, but I try, I the thing is I don't want to mention everything on every site because people will just be like, ah, oh, this guy, like he's just always promoting his own stuff, you know, like it's, uh, I kind of, it's got to be relevant. So with the Stillhead stuff, that's all my music projects, but alexkills.com has some of the other stuff that I've done as well. There's like a couple of SEO projects as well because I worked for an SEO agency for a while and launched a couple of sites on the back of that. <laughs> So it's all, I mean, it's all very relevant to, to, to many of our listeners, I believe, because um, as a creative person, you can run into this issue when you just come up with a new, a new project, which can be a different style of like music, for example. And there is this impulse to, to start a, a new brand. And mm -hmm. oftentimes musicians don't fully realize how much effort it will require to keep uh, a separate alias up to date on all the social networks and so on. So you've yeah. been going through it, supporting so many projects. Maybe you have uh, an advice to musicians considering this. And I, one question I want to ask you still, can you just mention a little bit more on your decision to start producing music under Steelhead? You're successful in your, in your niche. You've got a solid following already and so on. But I mean, you sacrifice something doing that. Yeah, uh, and, and I mean, I, and I'm asking because I know that some of our listeners are going through a similar transition. I learned a few things changing from one name to the other, and I kind of, in some ways, I'm really glad that I did it, and in other ways, I wish that I'd done things differently. I'm going to mention the word different a lot, and I'll try not to make any puns. This was one of the things that annoyed me about the different name DFRNT, because people would constantly make they'd be like, oh yeah, but your sound is really different. And you know, oh, you're going in a different direction. I'm like, yeah, I get it. I get it. It's like an easy word to make a pun out of, but it got old really quickly. But the different stuff, oh, there was a lot of things that I didn't like about being producing under that name. Firstly, the name, every time somebody said, what do you produce as? What do you DJ as? I say, oh, well, it's different, but you spell it D-F-R-N-T and it's all in capitals. And, and people would be like, oh, where did that name come from? And I'm like, oh, well, a long time ago, I, you know, I noticed this guy Mastercraft was making music under this MSTRKR, whatever. And I thought, oh, that's quite a good idea. And for some reason, I chose the word different. Not, it wasn't intentional that my music would become different to everybody else's. I just wanted something that I kind of liked the look of and some of the letters and stuff. And so that, it stuck. And by the time I'd had an album or two out, it was too late to do anything about it. And I thought, oh, no, you know, oh, well, let's just keep going with it and see how it goes. But then, Actually, incredible. People would spell it wrong all the time. <laughs> I have a release sitting here actually on vinyl that the artwork went without being sent to me for approval. And it says D-R-F-N-T. Oh, I could get that wrong. It's five letters, you know, like, but, but it, it just became a source of frustration. And I had, when I was releasing music under different, it was really the first alias that I had that was successful and, or successful by any standards, really, by like, I had a few EPs. I had 
three or four albums and, and was being able to DJ sort of around the world. And with that, I was putting out music too fast, I felt. I felt like a lot of the stuff that I was making, I didn't concentrate enough on making the sound as good as I wanted it to be. So by the time the music was released, I was really sick of it already. And so I couldn't support any of the stuff that I was making myself. And I was just playing other people's music. And there was this, there was a disparity between the stuff that I was making, which was really super deep dubstep and kind of house and and bass music, and what I was playing out live, which was a little harder edged and more dance floor orientated. And I was always under the impression that I wasn't getting bookings because people thought that I was just going to go super deep and just play really chill music and that wasn't going to work. So there was all these things wrong with the alias. and, And over like two years, I came to the conclusion that really I should just go for it and change my name. So I decided on this name Stillhead, which is from the Danish word Stillhead, which means silence, spelt a little differently, but it's also the name of a track by a producer called Mike Sheridan, who is one of my major sources of inspiration for the sound that I, that I produce. And also it's kind of more of a Nordic influenced thing. So this name stuck with me and I felt like it was easy to spell. People sort of, it was no longer embarrassing when somebody said, oh, what name do you produce under? And I could say, oh, Stillhead. And I wasn't like, oh, oh it doesn't matter. You know, oh, it's just kind of something that I do. I'm more proud to, to tell people about the name. So I set about changing everything like i set up redirect for all my old urls for the different website to go to this new stillhead website i set up a new brand for it i released a big chunk of all the different tracks that had never been released on a sort of album that said like this is my last release this is all the stuff that didn't make it out in time here it is i'm moving on from this now and all this stuff changed as much as I possibly could. Things like SoundCloud usernames, anywhere I could change the username, I changed it. And anywhere else, I had to register a new username and tell people that I'd switched over and encourage people to, to get on board. The major regret here, those two major things that make it a problem for me. The first is anywhere where I'd had releases like Beatport, iTunes, anywhere like that, Anybody who has said, I'm interested in this guy's music, I want to hear more, let me know when he releases something else, they're not going to get any more notifications. And if they don't follow me on social or ever go on the web or follow me elsewhere, they're not going to know that I've changed name. And that's probably a fair chunk of people. People who are not like super invested in the stuff that I'm doing, but interested enough that they would buy it if I release something new. And that audience is basically lost because Beatport don't have a service where you can ask them to tell people that you've changed your name, which is maybe that would be a good thing. I don't know. I think that there is, uh, there is I mean, there is a number of things that stores and streaming platforms could improve in terms of like, yes, supporting yeah. artists with such things. Yeah. The other thing, the other major thing, and I was thinking about this just yesterday, actually, that like I didn't have... I had kind of an email marketing, like an email mailing list for the different stuff, but it wasn't, it wasn't a focus for me in any way. It was just like, oh, I've also got like a few people on this list and they're interested in what I'm doing, but I'd never properly set up a list Mm -hmm. where I could say to people, look, here is how you keep in touch with me. And I wish that I'd done that from the start. I wish, I, I so wish I'd done that from the start because then I could have told everybody, anybody who'd come into contact with me, the music, the brand, anything like that, and who had enough interest to just put their email address in, I would have been able to say, oh, look, I've changed my name now, be aware and, you know, subscribe to me on whatever sites you need to, to keep up to date. But I didn't have that. So I feel like I lost out on a lot of people. And I'm now building that with Stillhead. And I'm really trying to put a focus on getting people involved and sort of helping it helps me to get directly to people and the inbox is kind of a sacred place and a lot of people abuse that and i don't want to abuse it i just want to make sure that i don't lose touch with the people that are interested in hearing my music and so that mailing list is like i don't know i recommend to everybody like set that up like get some way of collecting people's email addresses not in like a spammy or a malicious way like just because it's kind of it's your duty to let them know if, if they're interested in your music and they've put their email address in, like they're not going to complain if you tell them that you've got new music coming out. They'll complain if you send stuff all the time and really pester them with all the things that are not interesting. But if it's relevant to your music, 
I don't think people are going to be like, oh, I can't believe this guy's sending me so many emails. Mm-hmm. They'll be yeah. like, oh, great. Like, I love this guy's music. Like, I want to hear more from this. And this is what he sent me. So it's like, it's there to be taken advantage of, I think, and, and to be used to properly. But I think so many people don't use it in the right way or they don't, maybe they have a list, but they're not promoting it very well and that sort of thing. And what happens when Twitter disappears or when Facebook falls or when you can no longer get to any of your Facebook page likers because Facebook's changed their logarithm or, you know, or your site goes down for an indefinite amount of time or SoundCloud disappears because of legal battles or like any of this stuff. And that's like a huge chunk of your audience have just gone and there's nothing you can do about it. But if you've got an email list, you can, you're like, okay, well, it's fine. I've still got their email address and I can get directly to them at any time and let them know. Mm hmm. I mean, so, I, I, I want to emphasize these points of yours a little bit because we haven't discussed email marketing on the podcast for a while, although it's an, I mean, the importance of the email list and email marketing is just the same, but uh, you're just absolutely right that musicians don't, don't care about building the list. And then if they build the list, they just mess it up, in my opinion. So I've mm-hmm, got, mm-hmm. I get these random emails with like promos from producers I don't know while it's um, so essentially produces especially in electronic music just get it completely wrong don't get any opens get a lot of unsubscribes and so on and then they say that it's all about social media these days people don't care about email so it doesn't work they don't assume that it's about them not doing it quite right oftentimes yeah i mean it's a it's kind of hard thing to get right that's the problem is there's there's a lot to it and i think people don't realize how much is involved in doing email marketing and, and running a even just a small campaign because it's not something that like people are just used to emailing people with Outlook or Thunderbird or you know Gmail or wh- whatever they use and um, to be able to go from that to sending let's say like 500 people an email about what you're doing and how to word it and how to make sure that it gets through the spam filters and all that stuff is it's like a whole other world. I feel like I was fortunate enough when I was working with design agencies, I was put in charge of email marketing for IKEA for a little while. I say IKEA, some people say IKEA, I'm, I don't know, what, whatever, the, the big furniture brand. And I was managing, like I had, there was a list of, like it was 30 to 50,000 people were on their email list and that was just their Scottish customers. And we had to email them every month with new offers and we had to design the emails by hand and build them and, and you get used to knowing what sort of things trigger spam filters and how you can avoid that and how what words not to use and when to use the customer's name and when not and all this stuff. And also you find out about all these platforms that allow you to send these emails like Campaign Monitor and MailChimp and, and all of the other places that do that. And um, I feel fortunate that, that I was able to learn all that because if I had to come to that having no experience with email marketing at all, I wouldn't know where to start. Like it's sort of understandable. And Bandcamp and places like that make it a little bit easier because they sort of automatically collect email addresses for you, which is great. But then you still have to know what to do with them when you have this. You're like, well, I've got a big list of email addresses, but now what? You know, I and it's easy to just think, oh, well, I'll just paste them all into the two box and see, you know, see what happens. But yeah, there's more to it. And without taking a big course on how to do it, like I, it's hard to expect people to know exactly yeah. what to do. Yeah, so yeah, there is yeah. a lot of people getting it wrong. I, I agree. And it's not like me bashing musicians for doing it no, uh, wrong. No, I it, 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 and I mean, the, the issue, that, uh, in my opinion, is that artists don't care to learn this stuff because it feels complicated, much more difficult than signing up for Instagram and posting photos. And yeah. it is but it is uh, totally manageable. You don't have to have a marketing background. You just need to learn. Uh, there, there is a bunch of tools. Mm-hmm. We here use MailChimp. What did he use for? It's interesting. I, when I speak in English, I pronounce IKEA, but in Russian, IKEA. <laughs> so I don't know what's the right way. For IKEA, we used Campaign Monitor was what yeah. we used for IKEA in Scotland. And it was, it was expensive, but it was a great platform because it was well-designed. I used MailChimp for a little while with my own stuff. And then I also switched over to AWeber for some of the core stuff that I have. But now I've got rid of all of those and I use something called Sendy. Oh yeah, we, we uh, have it. I love it too. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Because it uses Amazon web services, it's like super cheap as well. So it's saving me hundreds of dollars. I wish that I'd known about it when 
So cut records never used to be a subscription model. It used to be free music, but I couldn't afford to send people emails to tell them about the music. So I had to find some way of creating, a, a sort of monetizing it. And the cost of emails was one of the main reasons why I had to monetize it. And, and I wish that I'd known about Sendy back then because it would have cost me a fraction of, of what it was to send these emails. And I potentially could have pushed cut records even further with the free releases. And, you know, eventually it may have come to something different. But Right. Yeah, that's a good tip. I mean, for someone listening to us now, you may want to start with something like MailChimp, which is free for 2000 subscribers. Yeah. And I, I still use it even for it costs more than Sandy, but we use Sandy as well. And it, it just, um, it's more uh, manual. So if you want to send out a nice looking newsletter, you would need to uh, use a template or design it yourself, uh, which mm-hmm. is not mm-hmm. necessarily complicated with existing templates, but still. So Ma- MailChimp is yeah. good because it's, it's really user-friendly and they yeah. take you through everything and they give you a whole bunch of pre-built templates. So it's like, there's no excuse for not being able to use it really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and all these like automation features, which are on the paid accounts, but still, so there is a number of things you can do to to engage the list and so on. So it's, I mean, it's definitely a, a topic that deserves a whole separate discussion, uh, yeah. but I, I'm I'm really <laughs> glad that you mentioned this and that we covered it a little bit. We, we just have to remind artists about the importance of email marketing. I feel like it's our uh, like obligation as people working in the industry to, <laughs> to remind about this stuff. Cool. So... Yeah, and I appreciate these insights on on this procedure of changing the name and what you had to go through. I yeah. hope that it will be useful to people, some artists. People are still now discovering that I'm not different anymore. Mm-hmm. And this is, well, a year and a half now, maybe two years since I changed the name. And I'm still doing things. And I, I still mention, oh, like, oh, you know, still head, previously different. And people are like, wait, you're different? Oh, what? I, I had no idea. And I'm like, oh, God, like... This continues. How long is this going to go on? <laughs> now I know, like in our email communication, I'll be mentioning the word "difference" a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, but it's an interesting thing, and uh, I'm glad to see the you know ongoing growth for your um, Steelhead brand. So, mm-hmm. and really excited about uh, the album. I'm linking to all this stuff in the show notes. So uh, we're releasing the podcast just around the time the album is out. So it's just, I think, a good timing. Uh, cool. So now let's talk a little bit about your industry projects, music industry, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> industry. I need <laughs> to specify which, which industry. So music marketing. You mm-hmm. have uh, released uh, in a number of articles and, and uh, simple like the websites with instructions like how to pitch music to, to labels, how to send music to labels. And uh, I'd like to learn a bit more on uh, the stuff that you are working on, on how to self-release the music. and. We just before we started recording this conversation, mm-hmm. we, we talked a bit about this that it's it goes much deeper than just releasing the music. So can yeah. you tell tell us a little bit on what will be in there? I can, yeah. Well, so firstly, all this stuff started, all all this kind of me wanting to help people do better with music started when I started to get more demos from people. I started to as I built my name up and started doing DJing and started the podcast. People started to send me more and more music and I got frustrated because people would just attach an MP3 to an email and they'd send it with no description or they would badly name their MP3s and and I'd save it and then go back later and not know who it was by. And there was a whole bunch of things that people were doing wrong. So I spent a bit of time interviewing friends that I had at radio stations, friends who were bigger DJs than I was, who were getting sent hundreds of tracks a week, if not more like a day. And I asked them how they handled all the music that they got sent, what they preferred, how they consumed it, where did they save it, like what did they want it to be called, did they use tags, like what software did they use to listen to it. And I collected all this information and I wrote it into an article called Dub Etiquette, which I then published in a magazine that I was creating at the time called Modus, which you may or may not be able to find online anymore. I had this article and then I thought like, this isn't enough people, it's not making any difference. So I put it on some forums and I I transcribed the article into forum format and I posted it on a bunch of forums and people said, oh, this is great. You know, this is handy advice. And then I thought, well, actually I can go one step further and just put it on a website. And so I bought howtosendmemusic.com and I put all this information up there because I want to help people help me, like help me help like you sort of thing. It's kind of like if you can follow 
these guidelines, and I don't want them to be rules either. I know it says do and do not, but like at least use it as a guide. Then when you send me your music, I can listen to it more effectively. I can actually give it the time that it deserves. And I don't have to worry about all the other stuff that normally goes wrong. I don't have to wait three minutes for the email to download because it's a 12 megabyte attachment and all this stuff. And so that was kind of the first thing that I did. And now a lot of labels now link to that and say like, here's a good idea for, you know, how to send people music. You can use this website and it gives you some guides. Now I need to update it. It's not been updated in a little while. It needs a little bit of tweaking. But anyway, that led to various other things. So the the thing that I'm doing at the moment, how to self-release is kind of, it was born of a frustration because I was seeing people releasing their own music, but not doing it particularly well. And I thought, oh, you know, if only they had done like just one or two things differently, or if only they'd managed that project a little better or uh, like, or put it on there before they put it on there or like just little things that make a big difference or make a bigger difference than you would expect. And at the same time, I was working on this Baltic scene website and we wanted to create some resources for people in the Baltics to allow them to, to reach bigger audiences. And I had said, well, why don't we make some resources? Why don't we give them like a template for a press release? Why don't we give them a template for their artist electronic press kit? And why don't we give them like business plan templates and that sort of stuff so that they can use that and they don't need to worry about whether the English is okay, whether, whether you know, all this stuff. And it'll help them break free of this kind of, oh, we're poor little Baltic musicians and we're not going to be famous because we can't get to an international audience, which is nonsense. And I was like, look, you just need to just try, a, a, you know, behave like an international musician and you will become an international musician. It sort of was my kind of theory behind it. Anyway, I wanted to create all these resources. The Baltic scene is no longer, we decided to can that idea because it was taking up too much of my time. But I was like, okay, I have these resources. Maybe I should be creating a site to hold all these, like all this information because it seemed a shame to just have it disappear and it didn't fit on my other blogs. So howtoselfrelease.com was born and this was a brand and I created it and, and got all excited and made a website and a blog and, and created a course platform. And now my focus is writing for, or writing two things, blogs, that is just free information. I just want to help people get their music out there and, and help them release more effectively. And also I'm writing a, a big course, which is actually, I don't know, maybe a month away from completion, I think. Nice. All going to plan, which is like the ultimate course on how to self-release is kind of uh, how I'm billing it. So we have, like, it has everything you could possibly need to do two things, to self-release your own music effectively or to start your own record label and release your and other people's music effectively to people who are interested in hearing it. And it's not just about releasing music. It's about finding the right people to release music to so that you can release it effectively and actually potentially make money off it. Now, I don't, I don't want to guarantee results. It's not like, a, I'm going to make you super rich because running a record label often it's more about the satisfaction and the love of getting the music out there than it is about making money. But if you can break even and you're not losing money, then that's to some degree a success. So really it's about providing all the information that people need to make it a success and telling them what they need to do and showing them how they need to behave and, and what sort of processes and all the information. And there's so much stuff in there. And then just helping to show, I don't know, help show people the way. It's kind of, the problem I have is I have self-released and I've also been released on other labels and continue to be in both of those situations. And I guess the, the minor problem for me is people will look at me and say, well, he's not really that successful. So why should I take his advice? Which is a totally fine, legitimate question. But I guess like I'm not following all the advice that I'm giving, which is the problem. Like, I, There's so much that you need to do in order to run a record label. And because I have all these other projects on the go, there's things that I've just not had time to do or that I'm just never going to get around to that I should do because they're going to make things more successful. It's just like, there's so much, there's too much. <laughs> it's a huge undertaking. But anyway, I'm, I'm kind of losing track of what I'm talking about here. The, the key thing is it's information about how to get your music out there yeah. effectively. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
makes sense and i don't think you need to worry about uh, what people may say because first of all you are fairly successful already with all the projects you're working on and with all the experience combined you know what you're talking about so like it doesn't matter if uh, if you're not implementing all the things well for your own label and and artists and uh, i mean it just makes a lot of sense for you it's awesome that you are willing to share this stuff so definitely looking forward to the course uh by the way is it for mainly targeting electronic musicians or it's applicable for any genre i would like it to be applicable for any genre the, the problem is i only have the perspective of an electronic musician so i've tried to i've been proofreading it recently and i've tried to come at it from the angle of somebody who's not producing just electronic music so that because my mistake may be that I'm only writing it with that in mind. And so people who are in bands or creating other genres are going to be like, oh, well, this doesn't apply to me. I would like to think that it applies to all musicians and bands, but I intend on testing it with some people from different genres and from different situations so that I can make sure that it covers all the bases. Yeah, that's good. I'm pretty sure it will be working for it will be at least useful even for some obscure genres some niche stuff <laughs> which i mean sometimes you know there are some uh, specifics in in uh, i don't know in jazz classic or just some mm-hmm. super niche uh <laughs> experimental music so it's uh, it, it sounds good so a, a very like just to tease it a little bit because um, i think you got attention and interest of the listener with uh, what you are going to reveal there but to tease it a little bit, can you name uh, some of the most common mistakes musicians make releasing, self-releasing music from your experience? Oh, I know, I, I know it's a, it's a huge, yeah, yeah but just the key ones. Things. There's a lot of different things people do. A lot of the time I find people just, people will throw an album up on Bandcamp and consider it released, which drives me nuts. It really like, yeah, it's great. I can get the music. That's fine. But I'm never going to find it. Like And you can rely on the tags that Bandcamp provide and, and that's great. And you can throw some links to it on your social networks and stuff. But like, I'm not following your social networks either. So how, am, you know, it's like whispering into the wind and expecting people to hear it. You know, there's no, like, you'd be better just like climbing up onto your roof and just shouting about your release because more people will find out about it. Like, that's what I feel like. It's, it's one thing to know where to put your music and like, but it's another thing to actually build an audience and drive people to it and help people find it. And there's kind of more, there's more to it than just sticking stuff on Bandcamp. Like I love Bandcamp. It's a great platform, but you have to use it properly if you want to, to see any sort of results. The thing is some people don't really, a lot of people say, well, I'm not bothered. It's just, it's more about getting it out there than it is about having people buy it. And, you know, I just want to say that I've released it and that's it. But like, well, if you're going to do it, why not do it properly? Like, and it doesn't take much more for you to set up a really basic distributor deal so that you can get it on places like Spotify or you can get it into Beatport and iTunes and all, all the sites where people go to buy that kind of music. And you've got more chance of making a little bit of money off it then. The other thing is people, I think, maybe don't invest enough in thinking about their brand identity and how they represent themselves and, and how much of a difference that makes. I, I find a lot of people... A lot of people mention the visual aspect of the different stuff that I did because I had this deer, this stag kind of emblem that I used all the way through and it changed shape and it changed into illustrations of stags and it was linked in other ways. But from the very start, I'd always used this stag because I wanted something Scottish that wasn't the Scottish flag or a thistle or something really cheesy like tartan. I wanted something that existed and hinted at Scotland, but wasn't exclusively Scottish. So this deer, this stag was was my emblem and people always used to say like oh you're the deer guy you're the stag guy some people thought it was a horse which is fine but you know like people people are like oh you know i like that like it reminded me of this or there was always a visual thing for people to grab onto even though like a lot of the music well some of it was released physically but a lot of it was just digital but they still knew that this deer was in some way linked to what i was doing and i think a lot of new artists these days they'll have like a snazzy logo but it might not say anything and it's not really a brand identity that they're building. It's just like a logo they've stuck on something. And I think it's important for people to build up this image because then it becomes more than just the music. It, like people, people have all sorts of associations and the whole visual side of it, I think people lose out on. And maybe I'm just saying that because I'm a brand identity designer, but I think people lose, miss the importance of having a, 
a brand. Like if you see people's logo, it's recognizable. A lot of big artists have a brand and they can't, it's got to be used on posters as well. You can't just type out the name David Guetta. It has to be his typeface and everything. Like he's, there's this brand associated with all these artists. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with hundred percent. And, uh, I mean, it's, it absolutely makes sense from what you are saying, but just not just having this, but using it consistently on all your cover box and posters, as you just said, is, uh, crucial. I think that even like a, a nice, a, a properly done typography based logotype, which may not have an emblem will be recognizable by fans if it's used properly and consistently and not misused because sometimes musicians who are creatives think that they can be designers as well and <laughs> <laughs> it's oftentimes a bad idea to do something in photoshop so the yeah the the thing about the having the brand and, and using it everywhere consistently is, is crucial so i man i really like that you mentioned that the thing about the brand is it's hard to keep control of because if you go and dj somewhere and somebody wants to put you on a flyer they're not going to automatically ask for your logo or your brand or any sort of guidelines. And if you have a release with a label that's not controlled by you, they're probably not going to ask you for a logo or, or anything like that, or any, you know, even colors, anything like that. So you have to be really proactive and say, like every time I signed a release with my different stuff, as much as possible, I would say, like, can I make sure that the artwork fits with my brand? Can I even, like, I would offer to design the artwork a lot of the time just so that it fit with what I wanted to communicate. And the same with flyers for clubs. If I was DJing somewhere, I'd say, oh, look, all right, I've got this. Here's my logo. Here's the colors that I ha- normally have it in. You know, here's how you can use it. And without being like really super annoying or trying to be like really over controlling, a lot of the time it was helpful because people were like, oh, that's great. You know, I can just drop it into the flyer or I can, you know, we can get you to do the artwork. And um, but people won't ask. And if you yeah. don't ask, you don't get yeah, yeah, right. And, and and it's really cool that you mentioned it's not just the logotype file, but uh, like we when we design logotypes, we usually provide, we always provide a simple guidelines mm-hmm. documents. It may be not a proper brand book kind of thing, but at least specifying which colors are used, how to use the logotype, how not to use it, what kind of backgrounds or like spacing or like, uh, yes, all these exactly. design yeah. stuff. I mean, it's, it's crucial. It may be not that important for you, it's common, it's very common for musicians not feel what a good design is. And unfortunately, but I think it's perfectly fine. But if you get a professional who does a, uh, the job for you, and if you just provide the files the designer did for you to mm-hmm. the people designing the artworks and uh, flies, you'll be on, on the safe side knowing that it's used properly because hopefully the guy designing this flyer knows what he's doing and mm-hmm. will check the file that you send them. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just one-on-one kind of, kind of basic things, but very important. Yeah. So um, about the stores, I I, uh, I like that you mentioned that the iTunes and Spotify and Beatport are um, places where people buy the music, but also discover music. So these are the platforms where you kind of want to be because this is what people use to listen to music. Any advice uh, here? So, for example, what do, you, do you usually release on... Uh, as many stores as possible, or you are more selective with where to distribute to? Well, this has varied over the years. When I first started out, I was doing the distribution myself entirely. And so I only had an account with a few stores, but I really wanted to try and get as wide a spread as possible because you never really know when somebody's going to discover your music and or when they're, you know, how they're going to find it. And often the smaller stores are more likely to feature you as a featured artist or really sing about your release. So my advice would be to get it in as many places as possible and don't worry so much about like whether people are going to download it or or whether they're going to stream it or or anything like that. So all of the Echo Dub releases I took off and all of my different releases have kind of disappeared from most places. Well, some of the different stuff remains because it wasn't on my own label, but anything that was on my own label Echo Dub is no longer on Spotify, it's no longer on iTunes or any of this, except one release. My last release is different. And I um, I distributed it through Emu Bands, which is kind of not a major player in the distribution scene, but they provide a good service and, and I was recommended them by a friend. And I stuck the album on their site and they distributed it to various places. And I still get money coming in every month from that release. And it's not a lot, but it's something. And the biggest places I get money from are Spotify and iTunes. 
but all of the others combined also bring in a fair chunk of money. So even the really weird, like there's a whole bunch of stores that a lot of people have never even heard of, or it's like a store linked to an app or a store linked to a games console or, or something like that. And you think who's buying music through that, but people do like people buy or stream music through all sorts of different things. And the less web savvy somebody is, the more chance they're probably going to buy through the first place they find instead of going directly to their store of preference. So yeah, I would say get it in as many places as possible. And it's really not difficult. It's like one of the easiest things you can do if you're releasing your own music is sign up for somewhere like Emu Bands or I don't want to mention the big, there's, there's huge names but I don't think they provide a great service. So there's like a lot of, there's a lot of digital distributors available out there or aggregators that a lot of the time they get called. I have created a massive list of them all and how much it costs to put your music on them for the course that I'm making. But I may, I may stick that out for free because it's kind of useful information. And basically it costs you a small amount to put your album or your EP onto their system and then they distribute it and they report back to you with sales. And the things that vary between them all are things like how much of the sales percentage, how much of the profit percentage you get and how much it costs and whether there's recurring things like, do you have to pay monthly or yearly to keep there, to keep that release on? And so they all have advantages and disadvantages and it's kind of, it's up to you, but they all, most of them serve the same group of stores. But um, some, some are more focused on electronic music, right? Yeah, there's there's a bit of variation, but generally they all provide a very similar service and it's like you don't it doesn't take much effort to get your music on that system and that's one step that will get your music into like hundreds of places and it makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really good that you're working on such a resource because oftentimes an artist will sign up to the first thing they hear about, so someone recommends, uh, and mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's all bit like everyone is doing the same thing, but usually when you sign up with uh, a distributor, you are locked with them. You can switch for sure, but it will be a bit of a hassle. Yeah. So usually they just stick to it, and then if the customer service sucks, for example, it will not be a great experience because oftentimes you want to get some like answers to your questions about Mm -hmm. the so from my experience customer support is really important but you you, yeah yeah there's the other option which is if you have your own small label and you're putting out your releases and maybe you're putting out other people's releases too you can sign an agreement with a it's i don't really know exactly what to call them but like a more professional digital distributor which is a, a company that exists that will distribute but really you're dealing with a person and you send them your release and you say when you want it to be released and they deal with it it's not an automated online system but then you get that contact with the people and they listen to the music and they can give you advice on when they think is the best time to release what stores they think are going to work whether you should do like a preview an itunes exclusive or that sort of thing and the benefit of having people that have done this for years and are kind of in the industry is useful but that's only going to apply to people that want to start their own label, really, because they tend to just deal with labels as opposed to individual artists. Yeah. And even if you run a small label, I think it's uh, pretty safe to just proceed with a good distributor. Yeah. As long as you just take it, like, don't just sign up for the first one you find, like, take a right. minute, like, do a bit of research, like, figure out, because ultimately you will, to a degree, be stuck with them. Like, yeah. you, they can issue takedowns, but that's like a huge hassle and switching distributor is always a massive pain in the ass, to be perfectly yeah, honest. Yeah, so I underestimated, like, speaking of, like, it could bring you a bit of a hassle, you're more correct here. It's, it's a lot of hassle. <laughs> we, we had to do it for several artists and releases, and it usually costs you something, like losing chart positions, so I don't know, just the releases or, or, or some, like, yeah. It- There's all sorts. Yeah, I actually had a, an artist really send me some really irate emails, like, really, really annoyed. Because he'd released something with me on Echodub a while back, and I switched distribution with Echodub, which meant all of the releases came off the sites, and then they all went back on. And when they all went back on, they jumped up to the top of everybody's lists, like as if it was a new release. Yeah. And I got this email from the guy, like, "What are you doing? Like, this is I've got releases coming out at the moment. I can't have this coming up as a new release." And I was like, "Whoa! I didn't even realize this had happened." It's like things you can't even think of. It's just. <laughs> 
it's like hassle to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. So that like part of everything you do as an artist, I think relies on just taking a little bit of time to think about it. You don't have to produce something and release it tomorrow and get it up on Bandcamp next week and start making money. Like just like wait a little bit longer, like do a bit of research, find out if this is the right thing for you to do. Sit on the track for a little while, find out if you're still happy with it. Like everything that you apply patience to is going to be better in the long run. Even if you don't think so at the time, like at least sleep on it and like don't make any rash decisions. Wise words. So, I mean, lots of cool tips and advice here. I think it made sense to wrap it up uh, because, Mm -hmm. I mean, our listener has what to check out online among your works as a producer, as an industry professional and so on. Mm -hmm. And definitely the course itself. And you've got a a bunch of free stuff on the blog and so on. So, yeah, once again, the show notes include all the links to your projects. Before we wrap it up, any quick advice or maybe you know because i know it's a difficult question to answer (laughs) but something very recent maybe an insight uh, that you discovered like this week it may be not the biggest uh, discovery but something like very recent that you could share do you know that's a really tough question i feel like i can only do advice in long form like (laughs) if you give me like an hour i can give you all sorts of advice quick actionable advice is kind of uh i don't know like I like the idea of telling people to just take their time with things. And I, I used to always say to people, if you're a music producer, like sit on your tracks and wait, like don't send them to labels. Don't, you know, don't do anything with them until you've sat on them for a week and then go back and listen to them and see how you feel about it. And if you still like it, leave it again and give it another week and then go back to it and see if you still like it. Because when you release music, especially if you release with other labels, it's not going to happen overnight. It takes months to get a release out, especially if you're doing a vinyl release. It can take like six to eight months to get your tracks from finishing your track to actually having it appear in shops. And in those six to eight months, you can get really sick of a track. And so you have to be sure that it's something that you're happy with, that you can continue to listen to, even after you've produced it, even after you've listened to it hundreds of times while you're making it, you need to still be able to support it when it comes out. However, having said all that, I'm currently working through the producer, Mike Monday. He, uh, has, uh, he does classes and courses and, and self-help stuff now. And I've been taking one of his courses called Start Now, Finish Fast. And he really goes to town on this notion of like, make as much music as possible, like make loads of music and get it out there. And his reasoning behind that is the more you make, the better you'll get. And the happier you'll be with the stuff that you have. But the more releases you have, the more of an audience you'll build and the bigger you'll get and so on. And it kind of like snowballs into something that is eventually really a success. And it's an interesting way of thinking it. But I kind of, I agree with what he's saying, like make as much music as possible. Use all the time available to sit in front of your computer or with your instrument or with your band and make as much music as possible. But don't release it all just sit on it and like give it time and make sure that it's definitely the best tracks that you can possibly have and then release it because all you need as an artist is like a couple of massive hits like if you really strike it lucky with a couple of big hits then you can do very well off the back of that the problem is most artists don't have that like and 99.9% of artists are just going to like be toiling through and releasing music and slowly building an audience. And that's kind of the way you should expect to have to do it. But if you're happy with all the tracks that you've made when you've made them and a month after you've made them and two months after you've made them and you're still happy, then release it, then take action. And also that time gives you enough time to think about doing it properly and putting everything in place to make sure that your release is as good as it can be. Yeah. Awesome. I actually have a little request to our listeners now. Yeah. If they uh, if they on SoundCloud, it would be nice to if if you guys left some comments on these parts of our conversation to share like your approach to this because actually this is one of the most common topics on the Whispin Forum on like uh, how prolific to be <laughs> and mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. much stuff to release, how often, and uh, if something feels unfinished, finish it, can it release it? All artists are going through these. 
I'm not a producer myself, but I know it very well after so many years of mm-hmm. uh, speaking to musicians that I, I'm some so confident about this. So it would be nice to hear to hear what our listeners think on this. But that's yeah. that's a really really cool tip here. I feel like if you're not getting huge releases and you're not playing out massive DJ sets or performing to huge audiences, then you've not produced enough. Like I myself, I've not produced enough. Nobody, I think, unless you're a household name in electronic music or in any kind of music, you've not produced enough. You've not done enough because the more you do, the more you produce, the more you learn. And that's really crucial. Like, and people just think, oh, well, I've, I've taken a course and I've released an album already. So like, I'm good to go. Like I know as much as I need to know and I can just get my music out there, but you can't, you've still got so much to learn. Like everybody has. And it's not even about new techniques or about like new software or anything like that. It's just about improving your skills as a musician and a producer and and understanding things and exploring new options. And yeah, people don't realize how much time you have to spend producing before you can get to the point where someone listens to your stuff and says like, oh, wow, that's incredible. And you can tell as well, like I... A lot of the time people send me music and they're like, oh, I'm a 17-year-old producer from Manchester. We've just made our first EP. Can you check it out? I'm like, yeah, but I know what it's going to sound like. And 90% of the time it's terrible. And you have to say like, you should probably spend more time producing and then start sending your stuff out. But, you know, anyway, I'm I'm like, I'm rambling now. No, that's good. That's good. I think on that note, we can safely wrap it all up. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for everything you shared, Alex. We are keeping an eye on the new album and the course and everything. So keeping in touch and thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for putting up with um, my talking. I do a lot of it. Thanks to Alex once again and you, the listener, for making it all the way till the end. Go to wispin.co forward slash WSR57 for the links to Alex's website. So all this stuff that we discussed on this uh, podcast. Watch out for his new album and uh, his upcoming course, obviously. On a separate note, I haven't mentioned this for a while. If you haven't done this yet, check out a little form uh, that we set up at getacut.wispin.co. Uh, the link is also in the show notes. There you will learn how to support this podcast. It's really easy, done through an iTunes review and helps us incredibly. Uh, there also, on that same page, you will find instructions on how to claim a unique, cool, free postcard from Wispin. Check it out, getacut.wispin.co. Thank you all and see you next week. You have been listening to the We Spin Recipes podcast. Learn how we can help you improve your music career at wespin12.com. We Spin